everyone, and welcome to Paralegal Tea Time. So Jess, what's the tea of the day? Hi everyone, we are excited about today's episode and we can't wait to spill the tea. Today's topic is, do paralegals get paid enough? An examination of paralegal salaries. And this will be a two-part episode with two special guests. Yes, Jessica, please introduce our special guests who will discuss today's topic with us. Okay, today we have Jonathan Friedman, the Managing Director of Friedman Williams Grant and Maxey. Founded in 2003, Friedman Williams is a legal recruiting firm and parent company of Grant and Maxey. The company has focused its mission on building both client and candidate relationships nationally. It was the winner of the New Jersey Law Journal 2020 Best Legal Staffing Provider. They have offices in New Jersey, New York, D.C., Pennsylvania, and Massachusetts. Thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Well, how is everybody doing today? I know I have my coffee ready. I'm ready for this topic. <laughs> me too. It's a great topic. I appreciate that intro. I am more of a coffee drinker myself than a tea drinker, <laughs> uh, but I certainly appreciate being uh, asked to join you both and certainly look forward to sharing some thoughts that, that I have from our experience in the staffing arena, obviously associated with paralegals. That's great. And we thank you for being here. Um, before we get into some of the factors that affect a paralegal salary, um, we'd like to know from you, Jonathan, do you feel uh, paralegal salaries are better now than historically? Absolutely. So in the past two and a half years, and it feels like a lifetime, we have seen salaries skyrocket across the country. Um, and obviously, there's so many factors in terms of why that has happened. Obviously, there's talent reasons, and then there's work reasons. Um, but really, it's it's probably has been happening well before the pandemic started. Um, but over the last two, three, four, five years, salary levels for paralegals and really administrative staff across the board inside a law firm, and I'm assuming inside of corporate practice as well, have skyrocketed based on just sheer opportunity. Um, and a, again, a lot of factors go into it: billable time, technical skill sets, and just sheer opportunity. Uh, we've seen tremendous push in terms of paying professionals at a level that is enticing and a great opportunity for individuals at the paralegal level to be successful. And some clients in different cities around the country are paying salaries that are creeping up to first-year associates in terms of the level. Maybe not in an AM Law 100 practice, but we've seen clients in the AM Law 100, AM Law 200 level that are offering salaries to paralegals in a non-exempt role that are surpassing first and second and sometimes third year associates in smaller practices in the same major market. So it's been pretty remarkable what's been happening. Wow, that is amazing news. And our listeners are gonna be excited to hear about that. <laughs> so from our perspective, there are also many factors that can affect a paralegal salary. Um, and here are some factors for our listeners um, to know about. Um, first is paralegal education, um, such as associate's degree, bachelor's degree, and a paralegal certificate from an ABA accredited institution. 
Right. And then we have the certified paralegal CP title, which is obtained by taking a series of examinations. And this title is acknowledged by the American Bar Association as a mark of excellence as per the NALA website. And lastly, we have work experience, as well as how valuable you are as an employee, like the quality of work and your work ethic, et cetera. Um, so for me, I'll just share a personal experience and then we will um, ask Jonathan a question based on uh, that experience. So for me, when I was working at a large law firm setting, um, a couple of my paralegal coworkers and I would go to lunch and, you know, some of them would discuss the topic of salary, although we would not discuss what we were getting paid as per human resources that is not allowed, but they would complain, you know, that they felt they were not getting compensated adequately. Um, of course, the paralegals were in different areas of law. Some were litigation, some were family law, some were you know, uh, personal injury, um, et cetera. But I happen to be in trust in estates. And for me, you know, when those types of conversations were taking place, I would kind of stay a little quiet because for me, I actually was happy with my compensation. Um, I would say back then, trust in estates was more of a specialized area of law. And there wasn't too many trust in estates paralegals in the field doing what I was doing. So law firms were really, you know, paying well for a qualified trust in estates paralegal. Um, so that was my experience. I feel like specialized areas of law and that special niche, um, law firms are willing to compensate paralegals really well. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that was my personal experience back when I was working in the large law firms. Uh, right. So, Jonathan, is it true that a more specialized area, um, paralegals in those areas are off, uh, would be offered a higher salary? And, I mean, if so, do you encourage paralegals to pursue certain areas that would be more lucrative? Sure. So, great question. And also, a tricky answer for a couple different reasons. I first would always recommend if someone's interested in getting into the paralegal work to first identify why they're interested in that work. Is the goal to gain experience and to move eventually and go into, go to law school, become an attorney? Many candidates nowadays, we're seeing clients hire junior level professionals that they're calling a paralegal. And those individuals are recent grads looking to figure out their game plan going forward. Obviously, then a large number of clients that come to us are looking for the professional seasoned paralegal that, that may already have a, a specialty. So to answer your question, I think really the answer is the best advice we can give somebody is pick a spot, pick a direction that interests you the most, such as, are you interested in real estate, corporate, trust and states, IP, um, litigation? You know, that's probably more important, first and foremost, of, you know, a career is a very, very long time. Um, obviously, if you look at number of hours that somebody spends on any given day or week, you're spending more time in your work world than your personal world, more, certainly more than you are actually awake for the most part. So you have to personally decide to go after the type of position that interests you the most, that you're excited about, whether your goal is just to build a long-term paralegal career, or if you, your career is a lead to something else, 
That's really an important part. In terms of where it's becoming higher salaries, that's a whole different question. So I think it's based on where somebody might live and what type of business they're interested in. We are seeing real estate paralegals salaries going through the roof. Obviously, corporate litigation and trust estates, as I mentioned as well, we're talking about well north of solid six-figure salaries, mostly in non-exempt roles, and for many firms based on a 35-hour work week. And that can vary based on the firm um, and the city and the state. But even if it's a 40-hour work week at a non-exempt role, most of the business that's available right now is going to keep someone busy for a lot longer if they want it. So we've seen clients provide someone a salary, strong benefits, an opportunity to work overtime and add on this new hybrid work schedule, which is permanent. There is no firm that I know of that is really looking and gonna be successful in bringing their paralegals back to the office five days a week. If they try it, it will fail. We obviously have a lot of clients that are bringing people back in two or three days a week, and that's been going on in certain cities more often than others. Um, but you're still gaining a lot of work-life balance to put into potentially additional work. And we've seen certain candidates easily having salaries at some of the larger firms with some seasoned experience, north of 130, 140, and even $150,000 base salary non-exempt role. So some of the, again, some of the more niche or higher paying teams, as I mentioned, are real estate, corporate and litigation trust in the states. Those are the ones that jump out at me the most. Wow, you heard it here first, listeners. Real <laughs> estate, trust in estates, corporate law and litigation, six figure ranges, and it all depends on the law firm and the state, obviously, but also very exciting to hear that uh, hybrid schedules seem to be here to stay. Now, Jessica, I shared my experience about, you know, my salary conversations. Um, what have your experience been like? Okay, well, I'm a litigation paralegal and um, I, you know, I'm only in New Jersey. And I mean, I found in my experience, maybe I wasn't, you know, at the right place. I don't know, but that I would have to either switch jobs and or, you know, receive a counteroffer from a current employer or I'd have to specifically request a salary bump in order to obtain a competitive salary. Um, and I guess I just thought, you know, litigation paralegals are pretty common, um, but I did find that, you know, firms would make an effort to keep, you know, a valuable litigation paralegal or, you know, any paralegal for that matter. You know, what we didn't do though, Jess, is I think me and you have it in common we did not reach out to a firm like Jonathan Friedman's firm. So maybe <laughs> maybe for our listeners, <laughs> they should be reaching out to recruiting firms um, because, you know, they're very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, we have a couple more questions for our guests. Um, and then we have our top three T tips. Um, <laughs> So can you give us, I think you touched on this though, Jonathan, um, give us a general idea of salary ranges out there for a more experienced paralegal, let's say 10 years of experience or more compared to the salary range for someone straight out of college. 
let's just call them entry-level paralegals. Absolutely. So it's interesting. So we have a couple of clients currently that we're working with that are looking for what we'll call entry-level paralegals. And really they're, they're not what a paralegal really is. They're not, they're not skilled yet. They're, they're recent college grads that are looking to build a career, maybe as a paralegal, but most likely the entry-level candidate is one that is thinking about going to law school. And coming in as a paralegal is getting them some opportunity, giving them a chance to work with partners, um, understand the business, and maybe make that decision, is this right for me or not? And those salaries could you know, be anywhere in the, it's called the New Jersey market, New York market, you know, sort of the low 50s to probably mid 60s. And again, unfortunately, it does come down to certain clients where you go to college. Um, there's a lot, obviously, certain firms are putting emphasis on where you've gained your bachelor's degree. Um, you know, certain clients are requiring a bachelor's degree. Certain clients are comfortable with an associate's degree. For a seasoned paralegal, I don't think a degree matters at all anymore. And I think you asked it before. You might get onto this question later, but there was a question or a statement before about certificates uh, and certifications. Um, we have not had a client in years require us to provide them a paralegal with anything but potentially a degree. So I know there's valuable and accredited programs that a paralegal could get involved in. And I'm sure there's firms out there that that's important. We're not seeing that. That's not been a critical factor for us. And going back to, let's get to your question about salaries, as I mentioned, and you touched on it, we are seeing six-figure salaries often. Um, there's still plenty of firms we work with that are looking for a paralegal with different skill set to be between 70 and 100. Um, that's still that's still common, but there are plenty of firms that are saying, show us the right type of person that fits the type of business model that we have, and we will make this work. And certain firms, the reason they can do that is billable time. Certain clients have billable time requirements for their paralegals, just like they do for their associates. Other firms do not. Um, there's firms that offer bonuses based on paralegals and, of course, associate attorneys reaching that billable hourly requirement. Other firms, it's just discretionary. So there's multiple factors to it. But if for someone who's strong at what they do, has got good experience at a small, mid-sized, or larger firm, there's just tremendous opportunity out there now. Wow, this is great information. Um, and it touches on our next question, which Jess has for you regarding uh, certifications. Wow. Right. So, um, yeah, you pretty much answered it. We were wondering if a certification um, would get a higher offer um, than an uncertified paralegal. But you did say, you know, you haven't needed anything like, you know, like that recently. Sure. And I, yeah, so I'll, I'll touch on that briefly. So we don't see that. What I do think is also driving salaries up is peer firms looking for the same type of candidate. So let's hypothetically say one of the, the bigger players in the Newark, New Jersey area is looking for a real estate paralegal. They probably have as a candidate, three firms in the same complex looking for the same individual. And that's what's also kind of pushed salaries to go to a certain level. Again, I'm a Jersey resident born and raised, so I can kind of use this example. During the pandemic, what became a really hot area was the Jersey Shore. 
um, a lot of individuals that lived even in New York City were looking to relocate, change their way of life. There's only so much um, real estate that was available, properties that were available to rent or to buy in the summer of 2020. What was happening was all the population that was not in that world that were realizing they don't need to work in Manhattan or in Newark or any city anywhere on the East Coast, people have been developing this work from life type of structure. Uh, real estate values went through the roof and not just Jersey Shore, but anywhere really throughout the, the move, move further away from the city. Um, less inventory, more buyers simply drive price. That's the same thing happening with talent over the last couple of years. It was very apparent in 2021. It's still been apparent in 2022. I'm curious if it's going to die a little bit down in 2023, but it's still there. We have seen candidates that have just a couple of years experience in other areas of administrative support, uh, achieving salary levels that are very kind of head scratching. But when three firms are courting the same person, that candidate's completely in control and the employer is sort of five, 10, 15%, maybe 20%, paying more than they ever expected to pay for this position. And it does cause some internal political and politic issues of salary between a seasoned professional and someone new coming into the team where the person new with less experience is expected to be paid at a higher level than someone who's been proven over time. So it's a unique situation right now and salaries continuously rise. I don't see salaries dipping anytime super quick, but I expect it will change a little bit over the next couple of years. Wow, this is great information. You know, we were gonna ask about how uh, the salaries have changed uh, in pandemic and now with inflation, but I think, you know, you've given a, a pretty great um, idea of the changes. Mm-hmm. So I think you've covered, um, you know, that that part of it. And, you know, I, I think this is very valuable information for our listeners. We're so grateful to, um, you know, have all of this, you know, information on salaries. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we'll go into the next question. Um, so what would you say would be the best salary um, in obtaining an increase uh, for a paralegal who thinks they deserve a salary bump? Also, great question. Um, I think the biggest factor in deciding how to approach your current organization is having facts that that come your way. Obviously, there's a couple ways to do that. For one, it is what's my value in the marketplace. Um, you know, obviously, there's there's the strategy of someone's interviewing for a new job, gets an opportunity, and then takes that to their current organization and says. See, I'm more valuable to someone else than I am to you. That's not the right strategy. And it happens in professional sports. It's very common in professional sports. And in the real world, the problem that you face when you go that route is you've just showed your current organization why loyalty is really not to you. I've decided to put myself out there. I'm speaking to other people. They're telling me how wonderful I am. They're offering me 15, 20, 30% above my current salary, will you match that? I would highly recommend a candidate not go that route because what you've just done is 
showed your current organization that I probably am going to leave. And rather, rather the better approach really is have those conversations up front. Discuss that you know your value is probably higher than your current compensation is today. You have information most likely of how many hours are you billing if you're a billable paralegal? How many hours are you working in general? Um, what is this typical salary increase you have received over the last couple of years? What is your last two, three, four bonuses you received? You probably have friends in the industry where you have discussions, maybe not hardcore exactly what they're earning, but you have a rough idea as a candidate that your peers, your friends are probably earning more. And I think the best scenario someone can do is sit down with the proper people and say, I want to be here. I enjoy the work that I do. I enjoy the people I work with as well. Um, if there's flexibility in a schedule, whether you're working a couple of days a week from home or coming in a few days a week, whatever scenario is best for you, you know, life has some twists. Families have some changes. If you're not having that flexibility and that's what you're looking for going forward, the best scenario advice that hopefully anyone could give another person is sit down, have an honest conversation of what's on your mind, what is valuable to you, and then let's see how they react to you. If, if that person says, I, I appreciate it, but there's nothing more we can do, then you take another step going forward and potentially look to see what else is out there. But my suggestion to your question is what's the best strategy for obtaining an increase in salary is first have that discussion and lay out the facts, lay out the data that you've developed of what you've put in. Because a lot of times the person you have to have the conversation with, whatever his or her title is, there's a chance they don't really know exactly what you're doing all day long. Because one, they may not be seeing you on an everyday basis, but they also may not fully understand how much work you were, you're putting in and if you're a non-billable paralegal. So the first piece is lay out the facts, give the information that is valuable to them and let them know that you're concerned that you're not being paid fairly with everything happening in life around us. So that would be my suggestion. Absolutely. That is great advice. I mean, I think everyone should outline what they have contributed and why they deserve the bump, you know? Um, and it's important, obviously, to outline the billable hours that they are billing because that is how the firm gets paid. Absolutely. Uh, very important. Um, here's a very interesting question. Um, and this actually did happen to me one time during an interview many, many years ago. Um, if a paralegal is asked in an interview why his or her salary requirement is too high, uh, what should they reply to the person interviewing them? Um, in other words, if, if they say your salary requirement is a bit too high, um, you know, how should they respond? Well, that's obviously an individual, very unique individual situation of that person is probably going to get caught off guard with that question. <laughs> and I think the most important part is that person, the person needs to have confidence in themselves, their ability to communicate and answer that, which is not an easy situation because you probably don't see it coming. But no. a lot has to do with, you know, everyone is valued differently by different people, different organizations. And if someone is sitting and let's hypothetically say they're in front of a director of HR and that person says to this paralegal candidate, you're great, but I think you're looking for 
a salary level that we can't go there, you know, why do you feel you're worth that dollar amount? A, a lot has to do with one, proving your case, selling yourself, communicating properly, and sharing with that individual who's asking you the question, because I am good at what I do. And that's not a cocky answer. That's a confident answer. I am polished and professional. I'm, and I'm going to give a lot to the firm of myself. And if you're in a billable role, you can pretty much figure out if you are billable at, I'm going to make this up, 14, 1500 hours, 16, 1700 hours a year. Well, you do, uh, you probably can easily figure out what the firm is charging for your services at a billable hour rate. And that's very easy to then say if I'm being billed out at $150 an hour, can I make that number up? And I'm billable at 1500 hours a year. If I'm good at what I do, I know what I'm worth. And if a firm does not feel you're worth that dollar amount, then it's okay to agree to disagree. And doesn't mean you have to settle for a lower salary. And sometimes candidates are out there searching for a new job to earn a higher living, better living. Other times it's quality of life, opportunity, maybe working with a more strategic partner. Um, but at the end of the day, no one should ever take a position if they don't feel they're being paid fairly based on their experience and their work. That's great advice. I'll let you, you all in on how I handled it. I basically told them a salary.com uh, research because I had done research prior to the interview on what salaries for that uh, area we're going for. And I said, well, salary.com shows that paralegal, I think it's called paralegal three or four. Um, they, they categorize it based on numbers of years of experience. And I said, the salary ranges should be between X and Y. And that is why I feel I deserve that amount. Um, so that's how I answered it, but I definitely was not prepared to hear that. <laughs> right. Right. And there's also a value of, you know, surveys mean something. I'm not the biggest fan of surveys because I think sometimes they're, the time they're produced, the data is from six or 12 months prior. So I have clients now that will constantly tell me in the last two years, our surveys tell us X. And a lot of times when I really challenge them on, well, when is the data from? And then they research their actual surveys and they realize the data is from 10 months ago, compiling data to produce the survey. The answer is, or this, especially when this was in 2020 or 2021, we were talking about a different universe a year ago. So yeah. data is great if it's real data. That's what I we try to provide to clients, which are, if you want to understand what real estate paralegals are earning, but well, we can give you a summary of five, 10, 20 candidates that either we've worked with or replaced and give you those salary ranges because we have real data. We have real data with someone's earning and obviously different states and different uh, jurisdictions allow us to not ask some direct questions, but the value of what we do in the industry is we do gather the data. We do get the information that we need to provide good information to our customers. So if, if a client said to me, you know, what is the, the average salary of a, of a good, strong real estate paralegal? You know, the answer I give back is never 
for someone with seven years of experience is valued at X. The value is every candidate has different skill sets and different years of experience. And sometimes years of experience don't justify your salary. It is what have you accomplished in your career and what are you able to provide to an organization, whether it's a new company or your existing company. And that's why salary ranges do vary a lot. But if a candidate does not feel they're being rewarded appropriately, then it's really important to just take a deep breath, think about what you've accomplished, and really decide there's the value of how much you enjoy your work, the work-life balance, and income. And if all three are not speaking together, then there's a reason to look outside. See, I heard, I learned something new today. This is great. Mm -hmm. I, I, I should have known that back then. I would have, <laughs> I would have been in a, you know, different salary bump back then, but hey, this is great for our listeners and I'm sure they're going to take these tips with them. And this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, we have a question about our freelancers out there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to switch gears a little bit. And we've talked on here about how Melissa and I feel like we hit the freelance market at a great time, considering the pandemic, the remote work situation that's going on. Um, have you seen an increase in paralegals going freelance? So that's probably the one area that I am probably not qualified to kind of give a good answer to because we don't handle much freelance work. Um, we used to years ago, um, five, six years ago, we had a significant temp freelance contract division. We sort of have moved away from that really due to the pandemic. Uh, and that's a lot of, I think a lot of candidates are not doing, Melissa, Jessica, what you have done is stepped away from possibly a full-time in-house position to sort of be your own boss and work as a freelancer and maybe spread your time between a couple of companies or take on a six month or 12 month project and then move on to something else. What we found is the type of candidate that's available for freelance work or contractor temp work is available because they're not working full time now somewhere else. And because salaries have grown so much in the last couple of years, most of the candidates that we have known over the years and we tend to work with are looking for that stable full time position. They're willing to work as a freelancer if they're not working now. But the problem we face is, and we're super vocal with our clients, is if you hire this made-up Michael Smith freelancer, there's a good chance they're only going to stay with you until someone offers them a full-time job. And by the time you bring them aboard or even interview them, onboard them, train them, there's a good chance they're not coming back on Monday morning very quickly. So there's a lot of, I don't want to say wasted time. But for my type of business, it's not a valuable add to the business right now. And we would love to work with those candidates that are that are that are available for freelance. But we'd love to try to show them a, a longer term path. So if they're working freelance, but that's not really their goal, if they're keeping busy working, earning a living while they're searching, for us that's the best can, candidate. So we can take our time finding the right opportunity. There's a lot of times that we're facing a situation where a candidate we've met or we're working with is interviewing at three different firms, as I mentioned before, but it's only one of our clients. So we are facing this fast, rapid approach to find them a job super quick. And sometimes it does cause a lot of stress on everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Okay, well, this has been a very informational podcast episode. Um, this has been wonderful. And we would like to give Jonathan the opportunity to provide listeners with his contact information in case there's any you know, uh, paralegal out there that needs uh, recruiter you know, uh, help. Uh, so Jonathan, please give them your website, contact information, You know, take over the floor. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Again, thanks for having me out. I've enjoyed our conversation. So if anyone wants to do any follow-up, uh, my whole firm is very easily reachable. Uh, our company is Friedman Williams, and we also have a division, Grant and Maxi. Uh, both websites are easy to reach. It's friedmanwilliams.com and it's grantmaxi.com. Um, and the separation between our, our divisions is simply our Friedman Williams side is our administrative group. It's a team of recruiters that handle technology, HR, accounting and finance, marketing, legal assistance and office support. Our Grant Maxi team is our paralegal group of recruiters and our attorney group of recruiters as well. Um, we are headquartered in Freehold, New Jersey, although we have staff that does live all around the country. Like most firms, we are in very, very hybrid slash almost remote business at this point. Uh, I have about 30 people that work for our company. Everyone in some form is a recruiter and we, everyone has this specialty and a focus. So if you go to our website, um, you'll easily see our staff members. You're welcome to reach out to me over the phone or via email and I will direct you to the right individual to help or assist. Um, and hopefully uh, we can all keep in touch as we go through this crazy year in life and period in time and head into the new year in a really, really good place for everybody. All right, thank you, Jonathan. And um, at the end of each episode, we'd like to talk about what favorite tea we are drinking or sampling since we are a paralegal tea time. Um, I know you said you're a coffee drinker, but do you have any sort of tea you would like to, you know, <laughs> shout out? Sure, yeah, so I, 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 I definitely should start by saying I'm a coffee drinker, but when I'm not feeling well, mm -hmm. without a doubt, tea is the beverage to go to, but I'm a simple tea drinker, like straightforward, Lipton, lemon, simple, just to soothe, soothe the throat and kind of natural healing along the way with a, a nice little drop of honey dropped in there as well. So I'm not a sophisticated tea drinker, although I know... Uh, for many people that I surround myself with, family and friends, I am maybe a minority when it comes to understanding the, the value of tea from a health standpoint as well. But I do like a good green tea every once in a while um, mm -hmm. and or a simple Lipton tea. That sounds great. Finally, mm -hmm. before we go, we like to leave our listeners with the top three tips uh, called today's tea. Uh, the top three tips will focus on the interviewing tips. Number one, research the company you are interviewing with and also research the individuals who are interviewing you, if you can. Number two, practice your answers to common interview questions. And finally, number three, prepare a list of references and have it handy in case you're asked to provide same. Mm -hmm. All right. Those are great tips. And we'd like to thank Jonathan for joining us today and providing us with some great information for the paralegals out there. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in today. Tune in next week 
when our topic will be how paralegal profession has changed over time. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you.